You're listening to Ask the Expert on Sprott Money News. Welcome back to Sprott Money News from SprottMoney.com, where great bargains can always be found under the Deals tab of our homepage. Check out all the bargains currently offered in our autumn sale. Again, just go to SprottMoney.com or call us at 888-861-0775. I'm your host, Craig Hemke, and joining us this month is geofinancial expert and well-known journalist, Nomi Prinz. Many of you will recognize Nomi as she's a best-selling author with books titled All the President's Bankers and her most recent book, Collusion, How the Central Banks Rigged the World. It's a pleasure to get a chance to visit with Nomi again. Nomi, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me back. Nomi, we've got questions we've been collecting all month, and anyone can submit questions for our Ask the Expert guests either by emailing us at submissions at SprottMoney.com or just tweeting them to us on Twitter as well. Nomi, I've got seven questions for you that I think deal right with your area of expertise. If you're ready, should we get started? Yeah, absolutely. All right. I think this first question is certainly timely topical, and it's right in your wheelhouse, given that most recent book of yours with the subtitle, How the Central Banks Rigged the World. All this news going on with these repo facilities and liquidity shortages, the Fed recently announcing renewed QE, though don't dare call it that, apparently. Uh, The first question, and I'll just use the questioner's uh, language, is with demand for fiat currency to service all of this debt throughout the world growing, Ever, by the day, it seems. How long can the central banks keep, quote, the genie in the bottle? Um, yeah, that's that's an excellent question. It does not just seem, but but is the case that um, the electronic injections, let's say, of conjured money that central banks have manufactured over the past 11 years um, and continue literally as we speak, um, and that will continue for the foreseeable future, and that means years. And there is a couple reasons for that. One, um, is that they believe, i.e. the leaders of the central banks from the Fed to the European Central Bank, Bank of Japan, and so forth, that there is a connection, or at least they perpetuate the myth that there is a connection between growth in the real economy and the amount of money they, they conjure and manufacture. The reality is where that money goes is into the private banking system, into financial assets, into the markets, and into debt. And so there is no reason to assume that they have any desire to stop the party to put that genie back in the bottle, because when that happens, if that happens, all of the financial assets that have basically bubbled on the back of all of this conjured money start to shrink, start to pop, start to create real upheaval. And so instead, what central banks have done over these years and will continue to do for a number of years for the foreseeable future um, is push the can down the road. And it's very personal to central bank leaders. You know, no one wants to be leading a central bank when the market crashes. Everybody wants to, for their own career, for their own legacy, for their own um, belief in, in their um, power um, in terms of what central banks and monetary policy do want to not be on the watch when and if a market crashes. And so they continue to push the can down the road. That's why the Fed has gone back into the repo markets, which is the short end of the curve, because that way they don't have to say it's QE, really. They're not really buying bonds. They're not really buying treasuries or mortgage bonds like they did the last three QE rounds. What they're doing now is effectively injecting liquidity into the front end of the market in the same amount that they took out 
at the end of last year when they said they would taper their policy of QE. So they basically untapered it, will continue to untaper it, um, and that will also continue for the foreseeable future. Well, Nomi, I think that's a good segue to question two, actually, uh, in that I think they would appear to be related in that uh, the questioner describes the U.S. dollar system as a Ponzi scheme. Um, And I think it gets to the idea of the global reserve currency status because the questioner says, when do you estimate that the Federal Reserve note will no longer be accepted throughout the world, meaning will no longer be the global reserve currency? Um, So that's a really interesting question because by virtue of the policy itself, i.e. creating money out of nowhere in order to really enact this idea of a Ponzi scheme, which is a really great term for it. That's what it is, because you're basically bolstering the dollar out of nothing, out of sort of a fiat process. Um, But that still has um, validity in the currency world. And the reason for that is because all of these central banks and all the private banks and their purviews utilize the dollar for many of their transactions internationally and as um, the, you know, the, the, the questioner mentioned, um, as the reserve currency. And because of that, we're in this sort of catch-22, where the reserve currency is, is so large, i.e. the dollar, and prevalent with respect to the world, that even though the policy that backs it is so weak, um, practically, the, the reality is there is still a need and an ongoing need for, for that dollar. It's like a junkie. It's like, you know, they're, they're, if you're like, you know, stuck on heroin or meth or whatever it is, you know, taking that away becomes a real problem. But continuing um, to sort of inject that or, or um, into those people as money is being injected into the financial system or into the dollar, into the major reserve, the other currencies that are not reserved, but are sort of minor reserve currencies in the world, like the yen and the euro and so forth, um, creates a need for itself. And and that's what we're seeing now. There is a migration away from the dollar, though, but it is very, very slow. Um, in particular, it started after the financial crisis began in 2008 with uh, the People's Bank of China trying to get the, the rent into the, the SDR basket with the IMF, which they did. So that became one of the five currencies now um, that are considered to be the basket of currencies that are the backbone of trade and international finance in the world. But it's still in a very small percentage relative to the dollar. It's in a larger percentage in the SDR than it is in actual trade. So the, the direction of going away from the dollar is set. The issue, um, and that goes back to the question, is the timing. And it will take, again, many, many years for the dollar not to be the reserve currency simply because of the abundance, particularly in this period where there's been so much created that we have in the system. Yeah. And actually, question three dovetails right into that, Nomi, in that uh, the, the questioner wonders if the IMF would issue like a global coin or would the SDR potentially be the next global currency? Is it analysts like Jim Rickards like to talk about that? Well, I, I think there's a, there is a, there's a need and again, a path to that, um, to having the SDR be sort of a form of at least a collaborative kind of a currency that actually demonstrates, you know, the participation of, of countries, not just the dollar, although the dollar is the the highest proportion of the SDR. Um, the other, the other four currencies have have proportions as well in the SDR um, that are higher than some of the proportions that they have of actual trade in the market. So again, that that that, that cement is there. The, the groundwork is laid in the SDR uh, for some sort of a global coin or a global. Um, sort of a trading system that, that's based on a basket of currencies. And I think that would be healthier um, for the world. 
Um, however, in terms of actual transactions um, and getting to an SDR is being used versus just being used to back certain bonds coming out of the IMF and so forth, which have been gaining in prevalence, um, again, it will take some time to do that. I think ultimately, if we look at what landscape might be in global finance and global economics and global trade more like 40 or 50 years from now, we could see a real evening out of all of these currencies and some kind of an electronic um, or crypto type of currency basket where everyone is sort of trading um, in the same type of currency. But I think we're, we're, we're those kinds of years um, away from that actually being the practice. I think in the meantime, what's going to happen is more bonds will be issued with, with SDR-type backing, um, as they have been. More trading partnerships will be created away from the U.S. dollar, as they have been, and that will sort of diffuse um, the use of singular currencies into more basket types of currencies and, and more crypto forms of currencies. And I don't mean in a speculative sense. I just mean in a, a more sort of electronic sense, but actually backed by something, um, which currently they're, they're not necessarily, um, could be another wave of that future path. Yeah. All right, let, let's shift gears a little bit uh, with question four, Nomi. Um, I, I, most folks that uh, collect precious metal recall their history, and they know that back in the 1930s during the crisis that a lot of gold was confiscated um, uh, in, in a sort of almost a state of emergency mode. Um, what do you think, uh, one, that that's possible again, that the U.S. or Canada or both or the Western world could could demand gold be turned in again and and maybe not even from directly from individuals could they raid you know ETFs nationalize ETFs if you will or private vaults uh, what do you think of those possibilities well I, I think today actually fewer people i individuals um, own gold than at the time because it was something that was backing um, currencies. It was officially backing the dollar. It was officially, um, you know, until the 30s, it was, it was specifically and officially backing the pound, which was uh, the most prevalent currency at the time in the world. And so there was a connection directly from using a currency and, and using gold. And so when it became time to sort of take gold away, um, as well as ultimately um, we went off the gold standard, which was after the 30s of being um, having gold taken away from people, um, that 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 became um, sort of part of now uh, the situation of of gold, and so people that invest in gold or have gold now kind of have the benefit if it's real gold and not ETFs, but if it's real physical gold, of of being pretty secure that that won't be taken away. Um, or it won't be sort of limited um, as it was then because it's not as intrinsic to um, the financial system um, as it was then. Of course, we also have central banks who, who, who own gold and so forth, so there is this diffusion of gold throughout. Um, on ETFs, it's a little bit different because ETFs can absolutely be impacted by volatility in gold because most of them, or at least many of them, don't actually own real gold. Um, they own gold futures. They, they can sort of manipulate the price of gold and, and other precious metals and so forth. And that's very different and not something that existed back in the 30s um, from actually owning pure physical gold. So mm -hmm. I, I think that that's why it's actually more of a secure asset um, and part of should be part of people's portfolio um, diversifications and, and investment strategies because um, it actually real gold um, actually, I think, will preserve not just um, it's 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 wealth, but also the the physicality of it um, for people that own it in in real coinage and you know, real percentage of bars and in real vaults. Yeah, 
No, I mean, the, the fifth question I think is interesting. I'm curious to get your answer. Um, the, it has to do with going back to sound money, which a lot of times the system reverts back to sound money, you know, after a fiat, failed fiat experiment. <clears throat> this questioner wants to know, though, why in the present sense doesn't a country like Mexico or even Greece that has tremendous amount of silver on hand, why don't, why don't they offer, you know, a, a silver-backed currency as a way of uh, drawing strength to their national currency. I mean, did it rock the boat too much, or do you just don't think silver is much of a monetary metal these days? Um, I think that's an excellent question because I personally own more silver than gold. Um, and, and part of the reason for that is um, because of its use value, not, not necessarily even backing currency, but just, just its use value in general in, in the world. Um, and I think that from a political standpoint, a country like Mexico that, yes, has a lot of silver um, or, or countries like it could be very innovative um, and back part of their currency with a, a link to a precious metal. I, I, don't, I don't see any reason why um, they couldn't do that from a standpoint of, of, of maneuvering. Um, but, 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 again, on that political basis, on the flip side, um, it could be seen as, sort of moving away from that whole dollar, fiat, U.S.-centric, Fed-centric system. Um, and I think there's a fear that if that happens, there could be other kinds of ramifications, not yeah. like from a currency basis, but from a trade basis or, or a sanction basis, or just we're not going to trade with you basis, or we're going to bank with you basis, because it does take that power away from um, really the central bank and the central um, position of the United States and of the dollar and of its sort of core major um, country friends um, in, in the central bank world and, and just geopolitically. And I think that's, that's one of the problems. Yeah. I think any central bank that could link a currency to, um, to a precious metal, something hard and real in the world, um, you should explore that. But, but I do think that the, the negative on that is, is how that gets looked at. I mean, even in the back of um, the 2008 crisis, one of the things that Bernanke did in a sort of private-ish but not really um, meeting with Congress um, was he, before anyone even mentioned, and this was when there was a crisis going, the dollar was going down, you know, the Fed was trying to figure out what to do, lots of money was being injected into the system, which turned out to be a decade-long process and, and ongoing, um, is he actually said that it would be bad to link gold, for example, to the dollar. Um, and, and, and that was because China was talking about potentially doing something like that, and they still are, as are um, people at the IMF. But he was so concerned that, that this weakness in the system, this obvious weakness in the banking and financial and monetary policy system in the United States would cause a ripple effect away um, from that central power, from the dollar, from the use of the reserve currency policy and everything else, that he actually like front-ran that um, to, to basically say before even anyone brought it up in the U.S., in a, in a meaningful way that like that would be really bad before it was even brought up. Yeah. Good. I think you're right. The, uh, these countries view it as the, the long-term gain is not worth the short-term pain. Right. I mean, because they have, you know, these trade relationships, these political relationships um, are, are very deep and, yeah. and very strong. We see that with, with sort of trade wars um, that are ongoing, any type of, um, any any type of movement, um, whether it's regarding you know Mexico and Canada, whether it's regarding the China, which is obviously bigger, um, you know, creates a lot of tension in in, in the world and, and real losses to real producers, manufacturers, and you know consumers along the way. Yeah. All right, just two questions to go, Nomi. And uh, this next one kind of combines. I'm going to combine several questions that were sent into us that basically deal with this idea of a debt jubilee. You know that at some point. 
uh, there's just like a big reset where everybody, you know, both sides of the ledger get washed out and, uh, and we start from scratch. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I have my own thoughts, but, I, you know, is that a possibility or would that just be too damaging across the world to ever have something like that happen? So every time there is like a debt collapse, it's, it's, it's a bad form of a jubilee, right? So what we've had in a situation in the last 11 years and ongoing is that many countries um, have issued debt. A lot of their um, internal corporate debt has been linked to the dollar going through U.S. banks and other major banks that use that. Um, and, and their public debt is skyrocketing relative to their GDP. The U.S. is one of those countries. Um, and so the problem is, on, on the one hand, when or if we get to a, an economic situation where whether it's emerging market countries starting or particular major countries, you know, we look at a Germany, which I don't think is going to default on, on, on corporate debt there, but, you know, having recessionary pressures and, and things like that, there's always the potential for one country or a, a contagion of multiple countries to default on debt. Now, what a Jubilee does um, is basically circumvent that um, and get ahead of it, sort of like the idea of having a potential currency back to hard assets, you know, getting ha- ahead of, of, of a potential problem. And I think, and I mentioned this in the last few pages of collusion as, as one, I think, necessary remedy for the amount of money that's been pumped and continues to be pumped into the financial system and into the NASA bubbles, is that a jubilee would be an effective way, um, not even necessarily of just canceling certain debt on a you know, strategic and methodical basis, but diverting that debt to what its original purpose um, is supposed to have been, which is to grow things, um, to invest in infrastructure, uh, to, to invest in R&D, to, to provide sort of pathways forward um, from a technology basis for, you know, entire countries and, and things like that, for medically, just, just really in any type of sector. And what happened was all this money that's been created in the last 11 years and ongoing isn't going to that ground economy. It's really going into markets and debt. And so if we mm-hmm. cancel that in a jubilee form and we redirect that debt in a meaningful way, we can actually have um, just a better world, um, sort of upgrade the world um, as opposed to considering it, you know, just a sort of negative cancellation of debt, a jubilee. And I, I like the word. Um, I've liked it for a long time because it, it, it actually, to me, has more connotations um, than simply canceling debt. To me, it's, it's a way done strategically of reinvigorating the world with the debt that exists as opposed to either waiting for it to default or continuing to create more forever. It kind of goes back to question one, too. I mean, is there a point beyond which the world can't handle any more debt or does it just go until finally uh, the economy slows enough that you can't service anymore and it kind of self-perpetuates? Well, just there, there, there can be a point where certain either countries or regions do have to default on debt or certain sectors within their countries, if it's not on a public government basis, um, could potentially default in debt. And that point is when there's simply not enough economic growth. There's not enough receipts coming in. There's not enough foreign direct investment. There's, there's just not enough money coming in to match um, what's required, even with liquidity being created by central banks. And that's why that kind of thing will happen more in periphery countries that don't have 
sort of the bulk of reserves out there and the sort of ability to do as much QE is because they have real inflation pressures um, as the major countries like Japan, like you know, countries in Europe through the ECB, like, like the Fed. Um, and so, yes, if that happens, it could create um, a massive strain on the system, which will be met by the larger central banks continuing QE. Um, and that's why I mentioned the whole thing going on forever, but it can be, it can therefore go on with, with potential pain along the way for, um, for periphery countries or countries that can't ultimately have enough growth or money coming in or created to service their debt. Yeah. All right, Nomi, just one last question. Uh, and this has to do uh, really with, I, I guess, custody of securities, things like that, if there is a bank failure. Uh, so many folks within the current system hold their their stock certificates, their uh, mining shares, their ETFs, whatever, at a brokerage firm under street name uh, with the custody held not by themselves but with another company. With another company. Um, do you think there's a concern there if the system crashes? Um, is there a backup to that? I mean, do you have any, any thoughts on that? Well, one thought I have is, is that just as people diversify um, their investments, um, that it's important to diversify the servicers um, of those investments, and that includes um, yourself. So I, I think right now, in general, it's, it's a very good time to consider having um, sort of cash preserved on the side. Um, and, and if one does that, um, whether it's through a, a multiple number of FDIC-insured accounts or it's actually like physically somewhere, um, that, that having cash aside um, in this sort of volatile type of period is, is, is a good strategy. Um, similar with a portion of, of, of hard metals. That, that's, that's a good strategy. With respect to ETFs and that sort of thing in the markets themselves, um, there are periods in the market where, um, where too much trading happens um, and, and things are sort of stopped out. They're, they're intermittent. They don't happen often. Um, but but there is that danger, um, and so I just think it's important to um, to diversify one's investment choices. I think it's important not to, for example, have brokerages that are connected to the large banks, um, and to potentially have ones that are more independent, still mm-hmm. still um, uh, reasonably um, secure in terms of at least their their presence and their history and their legacy, um, but not connected to to banks themselves. Um, and that's always just been a policy um, that I think well, I've had and that I think is practical for, for just protection. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. One last thing before we go, please be sure to visit SprottMoney.com. Anytime you're in the need for uh, looking for precious metals, physical precious metal, even storage of your precious metal. Also at SprottMoney.com, you'll also find... Interviews like this one, you can sign up for the Sprott Money newsletter and be notified every time there's a new Ask the Expert or weekly wrap-up podcast that gets posted. Again, do all of this at SprottMoney.com. Of course, you can call us anytime at 888-861-0775. Nomi, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure visiting with you. Again, this has been Nomi Prince, best-selling author and journalist and geofinancial expert. Nomi, it's been terrific visiting with you. Thank you so very much. Great questions. And from all of us at Sprott Money News and SprottMoney.com, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.